Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Vicki, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. And on this show, I usually spend a good chunk of the episode talking about people's inspirations that, you know, kind of launch them into their careers. So I know, I know in your book and anybody who's listening, definitely pick up a copy of Why I Do VFX. But reading your book, it sounds like a love of movies is not the best reason to get into visual effects because you get so busy, you don't have a lot of time to watch movies. But I, I want to know early on, though, before you knew that, before you came to that realization, what was it that kind of drew you toward that career path? Well, it kind of started when I was younger at 14. I was given a camcorder. And mm. by then, I was kind of like a quiet, shy kid. I didn't have any friends. I was bullied. And because I was bullied, I didn't have any friends. Um, so I was given a camcorder. And that kind of became an outlet for expression uh, for me. Because, you know, as a quiet kid, I, didn't, I felt like I didn't have a voice. And in a way, I kind of didn't. So <laughs> I went around kind of shooting random stuff of nature. And that's how it kind of grew from my passion of capturing those videos, editing it in post, and I discovered, hey, I can create a story from it. And that kind of grew into visual effects. So, yes. Yeah. So it's it started with a video camera. And that's kind of how I started getting interested in all this. Um, my, my friend's dad collected video cameras. Uh, like when they'd come out, he'd grab like the newest types. He'd grab like a VHS camera, then a mini DV camera. And we would get the last iteration they didn't care about. So he just passed that on to us. And, um, and so I totally relate with that. Um, when was the, when was the first time, you know, someone saw what you were working on and maybe noticed like, oh, you might have something, or maybe you should pursue this as something more than just something fun to do. First, well, wow, that's a good question. First time somebody saw and thought that I should pursue it. Well, I think, um, I don't think anybody gave me that comment of telling me to pursue it. I just continued pursuing hmm. <laughs> regardless of whether anyone saw it or not. Because again, it's like, it's like a channel of self-expression for me. Yeah. So whether anyone says, oh, you're good or oh, you're not good. Like I didn't care because I enjoyed it. You know, right. I felt like myself doing it. So I continued doing it. Did you have a certain style or or director or type of movie that you felt like you were trying to emulate, or was it totally just you know it was totally uniquely you in those early early days? Uh, in the early days, I don't think there was anything that directly influenced my style that I could recall. I mean, back then I was kind of a newbie, mm -hmm. so I guess in in a way I was like unsure if this was what I'm supposed to do in, in the sense of, you know, when I'm creating effects, it wasn't that good as like Hollywood level. Right. So I wasn't able to tell whether this is like really good or not personally. Right. Yeah. So uh, as for style, I mean, again, like I couldn't tell whether it's actually a style or not. So it's kind of in that gray zone area, if you know what I mean. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, tell, tell me about getting started with visual effects because it, it is something like I, like I said, I always stuck, with the behind the camera stuff. Like for me, I've, I've, I've opened after effects. 
I've done a couple small things, but it's a different world. It, it's it's a totally different process. How did you make that transition from shooting to the visual effects side? And you know, because that's an intimidating jump. Hmm. How did, well, um, I don't know. I don't think I don't think I felt like there was a transition <laughs> personally. I just gravitated towards it. Yeah. So um, yeah, I know I, I started with the production side, you know, shooting stuff, but I think. For me, when I when I had the control of kind of putting things together and telling mm. my story in post production, that's when I really kind of, it kind of clicked. Where okay, I mean yes, production is fun. I like to shoot stuff, but is the final product is the telling of the story that I could well. That's what I thought that I could only do in post. Mm. That kind of that's how it you know that's why I went into that. So yeah, it's a it's a it, it's interesting hearing you describe it that way because like for me, and this goes to the limited knowledge of any kind of visual effects stuff, whenever I have to do it, it's a, it's a chore. And I have to think about (laughs) it a lot before I go into it and be heavily structured. And I don't think, I know it is, but, but for me, I never think of it as that's a part of the storytelling process, you know, where it's like, I can figure something out or put something together for me, by the time I'm in it, I'm like, I have to know exactly what I'm going to do already and stick to it or else I'm going to get lost and, and start ruining everything. Um, but it's interesting hearing your perspective going into it. And it's almost like another canvas, like the way that right. people think of picking up a camera and shooting, like you have this opportunity to do something in that, in that realm. Um, do you remember like your first attempt or project or like what, what first made you go, like, I need to do something beyond what I'm capturing on the actual, you know, camera. Like I need to add something or do something to this. Um, I guess the first so-called visual effects project I ever did, there was not, you know, it, I mean, visual effects different from editing, obviously, but like the first visual effects project I did was actually like a kind of a music video cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just the vision that I had, you know, I wanted to, have this girl singing against like a backdrop of like mystical forest, but obviously Singapore is like an urban environment. So it'll be hard to find that kind of forest that I was looking for. Um, So that was my first attempt at visual effects. Now, obviously I talk about this in the book too. Like it looked really terrible now that if you look at it, you know, Um, but I kind of enjoyed it. It was really authentic in that sense. um, And it was very raw. And that was my first attempt using After Effects, trying to kind of rotoscope and put in three, like like, um, a bunch of trees and it's, track it in there poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I loved, I loved in the book because when you talk about that, you say, you know, I, you did it and it didn't look that good, but you wouldn't go back and change it because it, you know, and, and I think that's, that's something that I think is really important because I think a lot of people, especially creatives, and I would definitely put you in that category. Like for creatives, I think sometimes we have a tendency to say like, oh, I wish I could add this and do this. And I could, I'm never done with this shot or this thing. And I think it takes a lot to be able to look back at the early stuff and appreciate it for what it is and build past that. Instead of constantly going back and, and trying to tinker with it or keep working on it, like, did it accomplish what you needed it to at that time? And, and, you know, I think that's, that's something that I think a lot more creative should develop is that thick skin to say like, I wasn't perfect, but I did it and I created it. Yeah. Um, look, you've, you've worked on so many incredible projects now um, in various capacities. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, Walking Dead, like all of these different projects. How did you break in from, you know, uh, the smaller world into these really massive projects that have, 
you know, huge VFX teams working on them and massive scale budgets. Like how did you climb into that, into that world? Um, that's an excellent question. So, I mean, depending on, on how much time we have, I kind of like either make the, sh- the story short or long. So in, in um, short form, it's like there was an internship program at school in the US and I went to study visual effects. I applied for it. Um, long story short, I got in and that's how I worked on Walking Dead. And basically it's like um, once you get your foot in the door, it's very easy to kind of grow from there. So um, obviously in order to get in, like you need to have the good solid portfolio as, as a base. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's essentially that. Um, that's how I kind of broke in. So, so yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. That's like the first project because like, that's a, I mean, especially then, I mean, the show has, has, I think dropped a little bit in, in how much people pay attention to it, but still around that time, it was one of the biggest shows going. I mean, people would get together Sunday nights and watch the walking dead. So stepping into that, into that world, did it feel intimidating? Did it feel like, or, or was it just kind of a, this is a job. I'm going to do my job and, and uh, hope, you know, hope I can do it the best I can. Yep. That's basically, you got that down. So <laughs> the second part, well, um, I guess, you know, for me, I was actually surprised that number one, that, you know, it's the walking dead and I get to work on it. And that's my first ever uh, job and I haven't even graduated yet. Yeah. Uh, and then the second thing is um, I believe when I first, I remember clearly like the second day on the internship, they kind of they did they gave me some test shots and but the second day itself they gave me real shots from the mm. show itself because they saw that I was so good on the first day they decided you know what let's just use her immediately wow. <laughs> we're just gonna give her on the second day like give her real shots so so yeah so as for um the intimate well I didn't feel like again it's just it's just a job so I just see it as objectively okay I just need to do this that's all no no starry eyed oh it's so cool but yeah <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it, it's it's really it's really interesting listening to people within the industry because like you sit and talk to people, and I think there is, you know, you'll hear occasionally there's a story where someone's starstruck or they're shocked they're working on a certain project, but at a certain point, like you're still doing the same task, you're just scaling it up bigger or smaller, and it's always I, I think it's funny because before I had ever talked to anyone who did it professionally, it was always like, wow, I can't imagine you'd be starstruck every time you walk into it, you see a studio and you go and sit at your computer. And it really is. I think that's, I think you kind of have to look at it like that, you know, because if you're coming at it from a fan perspective, it's going to affect you in in one way or another. Um, I, I am curious about that specific angle of it because um, we talked about the creative side, bringing in that creative energy to it. But when you come into a show, four seasons in, or you come into a sequel, like a Jurassic world, or you come into a guardians of the galaxy, there's so much of that world already defined and you're coming in and you get your corner of it, your piece of it to, to work on. Is there, is it less creatively fulfilling working within somebody else's sandbox or is it something where you do have a little bit of freedom to add something that makes it your own? Well, um, so I would say like visual effects is a creative craft only in the execution part. So how you solve the problems, how you want to mm. fix the shot, how you want to render stuff. Well, maybe not rendering, but uh, all that's the execution part is the creative 
creative uh, aspect of visual effects. But as for the vision, the look, the style, you have no say in that as a visual effects artist. So a good visual effects person is someone that, you know, is not trying to control that stylistic as aspect because you're not, firstly, you're not the director and you're not even a supervisor. And even then, the supervisor doesn't control that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I always wanted that because that's something where, you know, again, everything is so structured in and you've got this this window that you get to work in. It, you know, can you, when you're sitting in there and you're working on a project and, you know, in your book, you talk about the idea that, you know, loving movies is great, but getting into VFX, it's extremely time consuming. Like you give a breakdown of your schedule and you're working pretty much all day, you know, working on shots and, and trying to put these things together. Um, you know, how, how quickly into that process did you realize like, oh, I'm not going to have a lot of time to sit and watch my work on the big screen the way that you probably fantasized in the beginning? Um, let's see. Well, I think it was like a slow realization that I didn't even know I was realizing. So, mm. so how that worked is like, okay, so I didn't have any expectations going into visual effects thinking that, oh, it's going to be so cool when I see my name in the credits. Like that wasn't what I was after. Mm. Like, again, you know, it's all about self-expression, but it didn't hit me until, you know, some, I guess, one or two years in and also eventually working at startups, realizing in hindsight that, hey, you know what? Actually, it's just like, it's just another job. You just go there, you perform your tasks, you execute, and then that's it. So yeah. there's not there's not much glamour to it other than, okay, right. sure, sometimes you get to go to events, which is cool, but that's it. Like, you know, so, right. so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm curious too, going, going to the film school side, because you started working before graduating on a massive project, a project people would kill to get any slice of at the time, you know, I, but in your book, you also talk a lot about, you know, people glamorize the idea of dropping out of film school, um, you know, or dropping out of school in general and pursuing an entrepreneurial, you know, course. And there's something exciting about that. We look at a Tarantino or we look at a Christopher Nolan and we look at these people who out, you know, Steven Spielberg went outside the system and still became incredible filmmakers. And like you say in your book, though, they never, you never hear the story of the people that dropped out of film school and, you know, end up working at Blockbuster and then, you know, <laughs> Blockbuster shuts down, they go work somewhere else. So, you know, what is your take on film school? Do you think it's something that everybody wanting to go into the industry should be a part of? Do you think it's, you know, do you think there is value? And do you think we've probably to a detriment, you know, really talked down people going to a formal kind of education setting? Yeah, you know, it used to be the other way around where education is kind of brought out as this important thing. Right. But now because of all these entrepreneurs and it's not their fault, it's just that it happened that the pattern is that they did yeah. drop out of school. Um, mm. Now we've all just, uh, you kind of did a, like the one flip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was thinking like, it's not just black and white. You know, there's a gray area. There are people who dropped out who amounted to nothing, frankly. And there are people who went to school and amounted to something as a filmmaker or creative. So uh, I think it's kind of um, a big mistake to just write off all schools, whether it's film, art, anything, just because some famous person did it. <laughs> so right. it, it really, I believe it really depends on your personal preference and style. Like what do you think suits your current situation better? Do you like having someone to kind of have it, have it structure for you or do you like doing things on your own? So, yeah. Was that, was that the benefit that you saw? Was it the structure and just learning step-by-step step the right way to do it? Or was it something where you were looking for something else and that that ended up being the takeaway? 
Well, for me personally, I um, going to school is a great way to get out of your country. So, so, you know, I'm in Singapore and usually what happens is like if you study overseas, it's like a great opportunity not only to expose yourself to different cultures, to make connections, you know, is a great way. So if like, so for me, that's actually the primary thing why I went to school. Obviously, you know, besides Asian parents forcing it upon you or whatever, but um, I think it depends on your your in- intentions and your your what's your agenda, you know, if if you want to work in Hollywood and you're in another country, going to school around the area is probably a good first start, you know, mm. even if you don't want to. So, so yeah, it's like different ways of looking at it, um, not just about the education itself. Were there any, on the flip side, were there any negatives that came where you felt like, oh, if I hadn't done film school, then I wouldn't have seen this, 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 or I would have had experiences doing something else sooner? Is there anything you look back and go like, okay, the pros were there, but maybe these were a couple of the cons. Mm, no, not really. So I think, I believe for me in every decision I make, I think about it very carefully so mm-hmm. that I have no regrets and I do have no regrets. So even if I look at it in hindsight for school, the only possible little tiny regret I have is like living in a dorm with roommates. Mm. <laughs> That's probably the only thing. So there's nothing that I would regret. However, I think if we put in, you know, to in the perspective of someone else, maybe they'll think about the student loans and stuff like that. But because that wasn't my experience, I that's not that's nothing that I kind of regret. Yeah, yeah. Just coming near the end, I, I do want to give you a chance to kind of talk about some of the things you're working on right now. Because while you are playing a part in a lot of big projects, you have also worked on some incredible things on your own, such as your book um, "Why I Do VFX," which people can go to the show notes of this episode and pick up a copy. Um, you're also doing a lot of training with virtual students all over the globe. Can you talk a little bit about that and how people can can find out more about that? Yeah. So I teach, I believe, close to ninety thousand students right now over 182 countries visual effects virtual reality and filmmaking um so for that it's on various platforms you know uh, udemy stuff like that and basically students kind of learn some of the tips tricks and insights i've personally learned myself in hollywood visual effects and put it in there in those courses so so yes um, so they can find that in Udemy. Is there anywhere else that you that they can check it out, or um, yeah, is, you have your personal my website, website? Yes, my personal website. You go to I believe Shop. There should be other links as well. Skillshare, um, Teachable, Stack Commerce. Yeah, a bunch of things. Perfect. And even yeah, in I'll, China I'll too. To yeah. Too. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know you mentioned you're training people from all around the world. Being in Singapore, you know, have you seen? any of the workings of the film industry there? And, you know, is there, are there any filmmakers or anybody that you'd say, oh, keep an eye on them or, or anything that you'd say like, oh, for someone who's unaware of, you know, the cinema there, they should check out these films. Um, yeah, I would say like Singapore's film industry is kind of growing. It's still small. It used to be even smaller, but it's growing. There are a few notable Singaporean filmmakers, but only to the local community. They're not hmm. like, large-scale, worldwide notable. Um, I would say Singapore is a little bit trying to emulate China's film industry and Hollywood at the same time. So they're looking up to those uh, two entities right now. So they're trying to form their own identity, but at the same time trying to kind of emulate the Western media and China or perhaps even Korea. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's around, but again, it's not like anything I would say is of, of global impact yet. Gotcha. Yeah. 
yeah, very soon, I, I'm sure it will be with how many people are are getting interested in this, with how many people are learning how to do it, with how accessible it's becoming. It's only a matter of time before we start seeing a ton of voices from all over the place start start diving into this. Yeah. Um, I, I know we just have a few minutes left. I want to ask you a couple quick questions with some yeah, quick answers. Ahead. It's something of a random round I like to end off with. Um, first of all, if you had the opportunity to either remake a film or get involved with an existing franchise, whatever that is, uh, what, what would you want to work on? What type of project? Ooh, remake a film. Um, Sweeney Todd. Hmm. <laughs> well, only because I like the film. I can't think of any other reasons. So <laughs> Sweeney Todd, the, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what do you think is the best decade of film history? Oh man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not really good in the history stuff. Uh, I would say like, you know, um, the old kind of old film days, just because I'm a fan of the style. That's really about it. You know, the Audrey Hepburn and stuff like that. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening to this? Ooh, best piece of advice, um, be very persistent at your goals because mm. you, there will be obstacles regardless of who you are, where you're from, there will be obstacles along the way. But, you know, persistence is key, especially as a creative, you know, film is a very a competitive field. So if you want your films to really eventually get seen, I think you just have to keep creating like forever until you die so so be very persistent till death do your part there's the title for the episode create until you die there you go um i'm gonna ask one last question i don't ask this usually in the random round but in your book you talk a lot and i think it's really good especially in light of the me too kind of era um and that's something that my other show deals with quite a lot um but i I am curious you talk a lot about how the the conduct on some of these working environments in the film industry can be pretty negative, you know, with, you know, both racial remarks, sexual remarks, things like that. Uh, what advice would you give to showrunners or directors who are trying to cultivate a healthy environment um, as someone who's working in VFX, which isn't always, you know, the most glamorous you're working in a realm where people don't always pay a lot of thought to the environment they're creating there. Uh, what advice would you give to directors that are overseeing large crews and VFX members and things like that? So I would give the, um, I would basically tell them to do what I did for my own startup when I had, you know, it's hard to kind of manage remotely, but you have to keep your ears open really wide. So be extremely observant. And if you even get a hint that something may be wrong, clarify it. So for example, if you feel like, this person's getting harassed. It's just a sense. Don't doubt it. Just at least clarify with that person first. So be very, very observant. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, like I mentioned my other show, I, I talk with uh, victims of sexual abuse actually. And um, that's one of the things that happened a lot is people say, if someone just would have asked, Hey, what's going on? It would have given yeah. me the freedom to talk about it. And, and I really love that you spent a good portion of the book talking about that issue um, because it is, it's something where, you know, it happens in every workplace, but, you know, within the film industry, it's been part of the conversation, but there's not a lot of practical advice on how do we correct this. And I think it's good. You spent a lot of time focused on that. So I want to make sure I asked about that um, before we got to the end, but yeah, as far as 
the rest of the information, all of your courses, the book, everyone who's listening can head over to the show notes of this episode, grab a copy of the book, post a picture to Instagram, uh, tag Vicky and leave um, a review, leave a review. We need, we need more reviews. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, create until you die. Uh, yeah. That is the takeaway today. But thank you so much for joining me on today's show and uh, taking the time to have this conversation. Yeah, it was it was fun. Thanks for listening to the Film School podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.